a Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. Hello, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. And in this community of ours, we have extraordinary people willing to share their stories and experience so that we can all learn from them. And today's guest is no exception. Oh, no. No, no, no. (laughs) Hi, I'm Elisa Latto, and I'm a mum of six-year-old twin boys, and I run a business called 123 Nourish Me, so teaching mums about uh, mindful eating and whole foods and... Um, have a range of products, organic products for kids. Look, there is so much more to Elisa than just that. Um, I used to work with Elisa many, many years ago and I never realised at the time that she was such an extraordinary person but the more I got to know her and the more I saw her on TV and stuff, <laughs> I was like, wow, we need to talk to her. So her family has a genetic condition. She had her children in a very unique way And she also had a video online that went viral, and I don't know anybody else that's had that. So Alyssa is living this idea that you can adapt your lifestyle to support your genes. She's a woman after my own heart. Oh, yeah. Mm. It's called epigenetics, Mm. isn't it? And we will do a whole episode of our podcast about Mm. epigenetics. You just have to uh, hold tight. (laughs) So um, I have a genetic condition that I was born with called Marfan syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder. So connective tissue being everywhere in your body, I was born with a structural fault to that connective tissue. So if it was a concrete wall, for example, it would be a concrete wall without the binding factor. So my connective tissue in my body is extremely weak. Um, And connective tissue is, you know, in every body system. It's in your eyes, in your lungs, in your skin, in your muscles and bones. Um, but the main area where that can be very dangerous is around your cardiovascular system, so around your heart. So, um, I, yeah, I have this condition which was an inherited condition from my mum. Inheriting it is a 50% chance. So in our family, um, it's like flipping a head or a tail and we all flipped heads. So all of the siblings in my family ended up with the condition. Yeah, so I live with this condition and and on the surface I probably look very normal and very um, able-bodied, but actually I live with a lot of um, difficulty. So living in a way for me has to be a very conscious decision to maintain health. It's not a given for me with difficult genetics. Look, I just find, I mean, anybody that's got a genetic condition, it's kind of like these are the cards you've been dealt and you have to deal with them and you are obviously living proof of that. But I just find Elisa amazingly strong. I mean, she tackles her health head on. So Marfan syndrome is very variable between people. So um, for example, if you don't have surgical intervention for my condition, your life expectancy is mid-30s. So, you know, generally what happens is your tissues just wear out. So for me, um, I have a lot of fatigue. So maintaining a very um, healthy life for me is actually life or death. Um, If I don't look after my body with my nutrition and I don't look after my body with my stress levels and um, I don't get enough downtime and sunshine and salt water and all of that, my health can decline really quickly. You know, some people in my condition may be in wheelchairs, they may not be able to walk, they may not be able to um, 
you know, hold down a job or, you know, it's very variable. So it's, you know, I have to work very hard on, on a whole range of, of things within my body to kind of keep me functioning. But I always think it's interesting when you find somebody who is dealt, like has to deal with a serious health situation and how stoic they can be. I think what ha- happens is you naturally just have to step up. Like what other option do you have mm. in the circumstances? And I guess some of us take longer than others to do that. Maybe some of us never get there. I don't know. I know for me it definitely was a turning point. And if anything, it's actually made not just us diligent about Geordie's health, but yeah. it makes us as a family diligent about our health in general. I took Geordie yesterday to see our chiropractor. Mm. Um, Geordie had a bit of a sniffle, oh, I don't know, maybe a week or two ago. His immune system is out of control amazing. (laughs) And I went in there and Warren said to me, or our chiropractor said to me, Nat, you brought him in last week and he was sick. And I'd forgotten. (laughs) I said, oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, I I don't know. That was last week. Like he just, it's really interesting, but you expect Mm. it not to be that way. And then it's a snowball effect because then you constantly start looking for the illness. Yeah. Whereas for us, we really quickly decided we didn't want to focus on illness. And if we looked for more health, we found more health and it's much nicer to live oh, that I love way. love it. Love it. Yeah. So it's just interesting though. There's often a catalyst. Yeah. And, you know, obviously something like a genetic condition pretty quickly throws you into finding a solution. Um, I had open heart surgery when I was 32. So um, I had that as a preventative. So my older brother, Ian, um, he had the tissue in his heart tear and... Um, rip and that caused him, you know, to live a very compromised life for a couple of years before he died. Um, So for me, I decided to go and voluntarily have surgery to replace my um, entire ascending aorta and my aortic valve. Um, And now that that's been replaced, I, they sort of say that I have a normal life expectancy because that's the main area that's in danger. In saying that, I have two realities that go on around this. My life expectancy isn't a given. Okay, so I'm absolutely aware that I have an unusual relationship with death compared to to most people. This sounds like a morbid topic, but it's actually actually something as a culture and as a society that we're really ill at ease talking about. And I guess I've had to face this more than the average person that I – I won't necessarily live a longer life. I guess I have a bit of a different mindset around and a bit of a different mentality around life and death stuff. So Elisa and her family worked out pretty quickly that lifestyle and healthy living were going to be the best way for them to move forward. Yeah, I came from a pretty unusual family. Um, Both my grandparents were holistic GPs um, and... Um, they had five kids and four of them became holistic doctors and my mum became an osteopath. Um, my brother's an acupuncturist and um, I studied to become a naturopath. I did almost all the study but haven't qualified. So we have a kind of a very strong health um, background in our family, which is very interesting why this condition really presented itself um, in a family that was quite medical. It, we really... Um, it really went undiagnosed within our family. And this is the mystery of genetics, that you can have all the knowledge in the world and random shit can just happen. So I guess I've always had a very strong um, connection, I think, to food being our medicine and that being... And then I also have a great respect for conventional medicine as well because actually without surgical intervention, I wouldn't be alive. 
Um, I've already lost one sibling to my condition and it's all very well to, to, you know, eat every organic thing in the world and do everything right. And the reality is my heart could still split open. So I'm very, very grateful for surgery. And, you know, there's an absolute place in my world for both. So life's already pretty different for Alyssa, but Mm. fast forward to when she and her husband decided it was time for them to have kids. Yeah. I mean, look, we all know someone who's faced fertility challenges or issues with falling pregnant. I think you probably know well, more than most, actually. <laughs> I know a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but for them, there were some particularly unusual hurdles. For many, many years, I didn't think I would be able to have children. Um, so to carry a pregnancy for me is life-threatening because obviously your blood volume increases so much with pregnancy. So there was two issues. There was the issue of carrying a pregnancy being extremely dangerous. And then there was the secondary issue that I didn't want to have children with the same genetic condition that I lived with. And I felt um, incredibly clear about that, that I um, I kind of knew what it involved in my life and I knew that the, you know, the generational grief, I think, from carrying this on to a third generation would be a very, very difficult thing for me and for my family and, and I just decided for myself that I would rather not have children if I was to have children with the same condition. So I had to, you know, go on a very long and involved journey to work out if there was a way to do um, genetic testing or pre-implantation genetic diagnosis so they could actually test um, embryos at a, you know, very, very few cell stage to test for the condition that I had and then choose an embryo that didn't contain the genetic fault that I had. So um, for many years that wasn't possible because they couldn't locate the genetic fault. So that was a very heart-wrenching thing to come to the um, the, the understanding that, well, I wouldn't be able to have kids then. I would have to maybe look at egg donation or, or this um, and I ended up researching myself after the Australian labs were unable to identify our mutation or our error. Um, I ended up locating a, a lab by myself overseas who used a different technology for screening and they ended up locating the error, which was a massive, massive deal for me because it then meant, well, I can use my own genetic material and I can screen for this disorder and it generationally can stop now. It doesn't have to go on to a third generation. So that was massive. So that was pretty good news for Elisa because, I mean, if you know what's going on with your genes and you want to put a stop to it, amazingly science is there to help you do it and it was going to work. Yeah, but would she then take the risk of carrying pregnancy? We'll find out after this short break. Mm -hmm. issue of I can't carry this pregnancy because what's the point of um, attempting to carry a pregnancy if I end up dying in childbirth or dying in the second trimester Um, so we had um, the difficult decision then that if that option was out our really only other possibility for starting a family was to look for surrogacy which is what we ended up um Pursuing, And that was a very difficult and long and involved process in itself. On this Wellness Collective podcast episode, we are sharing the story of Elisa Latto. She's an extraordinary woman in so many ways. We found out that the only option for her and her partner to become pregnant was to actually find a surrogate, not something that you or I would enter into lightly, let's oh, be honest. well, no, exactly. And especially because in Australia there's um, a huge kind of barrier to doing it. I mean, legally and uh, ethically and, well, Elisa found out the hard way. It's terribly difficult. The laws here are very non-progressive and restrictive and archaic and 
demoralising. Um, so we began the process of surrogacy in Australia and um, it was a really horrendous experience for us. Um, you know, even, for example, during my IVF retrievals and my egg retrievals, I would have to be admitted into hospital and I would have a whole department of, of a very popular hospital here refuse to treat me based on the fact that we were doing surrogacy, you know, because any often hospitals that have any kind of um, Catholic background, they, they are, you know, morally against surrogacy. So, you know, I had a whole haematology department just say, I'm sorry, we're not treating you. So I felt incredibly judged. I felt incredibly ostracised here. I felt that I, um, I just felt that there was a culture around surrogacy in Australia that didn't support either the surrogate or the intended parents. So while beginning that process, I also felt it was extremely unfair that it wasn't a compensated system. So everyone else was able to benefit financially from it, the doctors and the lawyers, and except the surrogate mother. And to me that felt... Um, that felt unjust that someone couldn't be compensated for doing this incredible thing for another couple, you know. So we then um, kind of gave up in Australia and we looked overseas for surrog at surrogacy and we went over to the US and we instantly felt it was the right fit for us because the culture around it was, was welcoming, it was warm, it was normalised, it was bloody expensive, you know, incredibly expensive um, process, but in, in in many ways it was a lot easier over there despite the distance um, because you didn't feel like this kind of crazy freak doing this crazy thing. It was like, how can we help you and support you to become parents? As I mentioned, I worked with Elisa a long time ago and um, I wasn't working with her at the time when she had her babies, but they were born just a few weeks before I had my first baby and I can just remember knowing what she was going through and just being blown away because I was so um, out of my depth. I felt like I did <laughs> like, not know what was going to happen. Really? <laughs> I mean, come on. You didn't read the manual? No, it must have got lost in the mail. But do you know what I mean? Like being a first-time parent is quite confronting. And do you know, I was laughing the other day because I had never changed a nappy before I had given birth. And the nurse came in, I had to press the buzzer for the first nappy and say, can you show me how to do it? Isn't that That's terrible? That's so cute. You hadn't done your 10,000 hours. Cecilia. I had not. Well, I probably have now. Your 10,000 hours to make you an expert. That's what they say. 10,000 hours. Yeah. So now you can actually call yourself a parenting expert. I probably would be and probably even a <laughs> nappy expert after that. Oh my gosh, yes. But think about Elisa coming back from America with twin babies. I mean, she was there for the last part of the pregnancy and she was there for the birth and all that kind of stuff. But to get on that plane with those babies, I just... I, it blows my mind. I remember treating one of the very first surrogacy, public surrogacy um, cases. It's not a case. What is it? It's a situation, situation I guess. <laughs> um, arrangement. E arrangement. That's a good word. Um, and the challenges that came with that were quite interesting in the sense that, you know, she went over there to be with the, the surrogate mm -hmm. and was able to experience that. But this person that I had, that sticks in my mind, they were here, both living in Melbourne, mm. and it was very different because things that she wanted to do, the surrogate was like, oh, I don't really want you to run my tummy or, you know, that's oh, a bit weird or right. it'd be really hard. Absolutely, yeah. So we went over for my egg retrieval. So, um, uh, you know, it, it certainly wasn't a straightforward process. We, did, we weren't successful on the first time either. So we were actually successful on the third time. So there was an enormous amount of travel and um, 
We did our egg retrievals over there. We did our genetic testing over there. And then, um, you know, it was very much a waiting game. We were extremely lucky that we were matched and had an unbelievably beautiful and close relationship with our surrogate mother and still do to this day. So we, she was just phenomenal at keeping us, in, um, you know, completely making it about our experience. And she, you know, would share every little thing about the pregnancy as if we were going through it, you know, and we would on the phone for all the appointments and all the ultrasounds and all the doctor's appointments and, and then we went over, um, obviously, when we found out that we were expecting um, a multiple pregnancy and expecting twins, um, that was just phenomenal and just miraculous and amazing. But, of course, with that comes an enormous amount of anxiety and concern for um, our surrogate mother and concern for our babies because of the risks involved with multiple births. And and so we ended up bringing our flight forward and we raced over to surprise her which actually in hindsight was probably the craziest thing to do to her <laughs> but we walked into the cafe where her husband her husband knew and oh it was just amazing you know she was just crying with happiness and we were there but we were ended up you know being there for three weeks prior to our babies being born and um and the birth was just amazing you know we were in the room for the birth and some women in life are born to be um, pregnant and born to give birth, and she was definitely one of them. She was just, you know, she was one of these people that loved pregnancy and loved um, giving birth, and she ended up delivering our, our babies in, in vaginally with no epidural, no drugs in under an hour. Yeah, very. it was a very emotional, very beautiful experience. Um, my husband and I were in the room with her husband and, and her and all of her family were there, and... Um, it was just, it felt like this massive team effort to bring these babies into the world. And, you know, these boys um, arrived just surrounded by love and surrounded by a team of people so committed to their life. You've got tears in your eyes, haven't you? It's amazing. I cry in television commercials. So you are asking the <laughs> wrong person. Right, I put that box of tissues just in front of you just there. <laughs> Oh my goodness. But surrogacy does have a real stigma around it. I mean, mm. I remember talking to my mum about this and she was just like, oh, wow, that, I, I can't believe someone would actually, you know, go through that. That's so massive. Well, the th- thing here is that Alyssa is so willing to share her oh, yeah. experience and really she's become a major advocate for surrogacy in this country. Very much so, yeah. And, I mean, I had a, it was a woman that I used to, um, I saw once on 60 Minutes, I ended up contacting her and she'd had twins through surrogacy and she was kind of my mentor. And I think we did a couple of Australian stories and after that I think, you know, I kind of became for a lot of people you know that were very interested in that and didn't know it was a possibility to go and have children this way um they would they would contact but I'm really happy to to do that because I think surrogacy needs the attention I think that as a as a country we let down couples with infertility and we let down couples that um you need to have an unconventional way to have their families and you know, I think that any um, very often when surrogacy is portrayed in the media, it has this kind of stigma of, um, you know, exploitation or um, somehow that it's kind of like this sense of shame attached to it. Or, and you know, I guess from my experience, which was very empowering for both our surrogate and ourselves. I mean, if you were to talk to Brandy now, she would say that being a surrogate has been the highlight of her life. You know, up there with her own children. So. I'm really happy to offer an alternative perspective to 
um, surrogacy and um, you know, I'm not going to say the journey was without difficulty. It was filled with difficulty from start to finish. And, you know, I remember even when Brandy was pregnant, there was difficult elements to it. I remember, you know, someone saying to me at the time, oh, well, how, how's the mother? And I'd say, I'm fine. And Brandy, our surrogate, is fine too. You know, there was this kind of separation that I was not the mother. And, you know, and still sometimes when I, if people don't get the whole story or they kind of learn that the boys were born through surrogacy, it's kind of this sense, it's an unspoken thing, but there's kind of a sense that I got out of something or I didn't go through it and I didn't give birth. So therefore I'm slightly less of a mother than somebody else. So that same couple that I was talking about, I know that they felt very judged. First of all, I guess mm. you'd probably feel slightly inadequate that you couldn't actually have your own baby oh, without sounding rude, but that would that would be going through your mind. I know it would be for me anyway. But isn't that part of the whole fertility situation oh, as well, the psychological and part then, of it? And then feeling judged from other people because it's not really something that's spoken about very often. Mm. So, of course, you know, it's that whole first we resist things and then eventually, I don't know, there's a whole saying behind that and I'm not going to recall that now. I can't remember <laughs> it. But you know what I mean? I, I think that, that it was <laughs> certainly a challenge for this couple that I'm talking mm. about in – all you're really trying to do is is have a baby. That's but right. But there's all of this other stuff outside of what normally happens with having a baby, which is already stressful. I think also going on. people are quick to judge and, you know, you don't want to be the judge of the judges, but I think sometimes people are quick to judge because anything that's different takes a little while to kind of be massaged through. Yeah, mm. do you know what I mean? So even the fact that in Elisa's case, her babies were genetically hers. Well, other people don't know that straight away. So then there's the whole thing they didn't see her pregnant. So there's all this kind of, the, all these steps. But at the end of the day, she shouldn't have to go around saying to people, actually, they're my children. Oh, I just didn't no. give it. Like, she shouldn't have to justify that. Now, we did mention at the very beginning that uh, one of the amazing things that's happened with Elisa is that she's gone viral around the world. I love that word, gone viral. Yeah, no, it makes you sound like you're infecting you're people. You've gone viral, darling. But in a good way. <laughs> now, look, I think you can probably tell that she's a pretty positive person. Yeah, Every yeah. single thing she says is amazing. And if you have a look at her blog, oh my goodness, I was looking at it the other day going, I need to be a better person. Oh my <laughs> goodness, you've got to be kinder to yourself there. No, no, it's okay. I've got inspiration. <laughs> but one of, the, one of the things she does every day is she said she does positive affirmation with herself and her kids as part of her healthy living mantra, which well, I love. I guess that's also because that she faces the reality she could have potentially a lesser life mm. expectancy than other people and she wants her boys to be resilient, to be able to cope with whatever life throws at them. So she made this video of her and her boys and shared it and it was kind of a big hit. Ready for a big positive day at school? Yes! Okay, ready? Excellent. Okay, I am strong. I am strong. I am amazing. I am amazing. I am kind. I am kind. I am beautiful. I am beautiful. I am respectful. I'm you know, and I'm very, I talk to my boys a lot about resilience because I don't know the kind of life they're going to have if something happens to me. So we talk about that a lot, even at six, you know, I think that they need to be very aware that mum has, um, you know, some difficult things with her heart and um, you know, I, I sort of think children, if you empower them, have such an innate wisdom about 
things if you're very open with them about, I mean, obviously age-appropriate things. I don't put fear into them about mummy's going to die, but, you know, we don't know when any of us are going to die. So we have these conversations about resilience. Um, And so we often do affirmations with them in the morning before they go to school, just, you know, reiterating that they're really resilient and that they can um, they can cope with whatever happens in the day and there's no mistakes, there's opportunities to learn from whatever they're going through. We often, you know, I have one little boy who's going through some anger issues, so we talk about that it's absolutely okay to be angry but it's not okay to take your anger out on other people. We just kind of reaffirm um those things, whatever they're going through. Oh, it's something I would love to do with my kids. Although every time I've tried to do some of it, they're like, yeah, okay, we know. <laughs> Stop it already, Go Mum. Away. I'm cool. And I just did a little video one day thinking that um, that would be a nice little thing to share and, um, and it's interesting that it did go, um, you know, a lot of people saw it and shared it and I, I wondered afterwards why was that and I think it's because we are starved of positivity with, ourselves and with kids and I think that's why that resonated because we all have this kind of unmet need to be told positive things about who we are and you know when you look at a child generally in a day is told 200 negative statements about themselves or about their actions or behavior you know don't do this don't do that jump down there come on you're not listening and you know I do it too I'm exactly the same we so I think it's nice to take for us five minutes of mindfulness in the morning of absolutely conscious, consciously doing the exact opposite of that, telling them that they're a really wonderful person, that they're really treasured, that they're absolutely loved. So thanks to the wonders of the World Wide Web, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the video became a huge hit in South Korea of all places. Love it. (laughs) Um, After it was, of course, shared on Good Morning Korea and then Good Morning America. I thought it was so gorgeous that positivity is universal you know, with this language and they had the subtitles, I thought it was beautiful. Have you ever tried it with your kids? Yes, I do try and actually do this. It was probably Elisa that motivated me. Oh, good. I'm not every day. I can't say that it's an everyday thing. I do try and set the tone for the day. I mm. tr- I do say every day when we walk out the door, we're going to have a great day today. And the other day... I like that. I might, the I other might day, copy that. I put it on Insta stories. I'm like, we are going to have a great day today. And Olivia turns around on Instagram and says... I'm bored. (laughs) I said, well, that doesn't mean it can't be a great day. And she's like, you're boring. I'm like, oh, okay. All right, tween. Keeping it real. Yes, I know, right. I think as well mirror work with kids is unbelievably powerful, you know, because... It's 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 a quite a different thing by just by saying positive stuff, but actually getting them to look at themselves. I mean, as adults, how ill at ease are we at looking in the mirror and saying, "You're beautiful," you know, "You're amazing," and why does that feel wrong? And why can't we we raise our kids that that's second nature? Sadly, I think they do lose it at some stage. I remember Livy when she was really little, well, not really little, maybe two or three, and she was talking to herself in the mirror, and then she leaned in and kissed the mirror and. And said, I love you. Oh, that's good. Being kind to herself. Self love. Yeah, do you do that in the mirror in the morning? Uh, <laughs> not every day. No, no. In fact, most days I think, oh, gee, yeah, that's, see, that's not I kind. need to book into the hairdressers. Know, or, right? Oh, oh gee, sleep would be good. Or yeah. mm, last night's makeup. Yeah, all those kind oh of my things. Gosh, you're hilarious. <laughs>
Like I said, I have tried this with my kids and I do try and do positive things. Like, you know, I say to them, you are you are beautiful, you're gorgeous. I hope you had a good day today. You know, love you, see you in the morning, blah, blah, blah. I'm proud of you for this. I like I'm proud of you. Yes, that's I like, one of my favourites. I favorites. love I'm so proud of you. Yep. I do that one before bed. Yeah. Just to reinforce, just in case I've screamed at them. No, oh, exactly. <laughs> if you like you've balanced the books yes, a little. Yes, I've balanced the ledger. But, but, um, but no, I did try this one where I said, okay, now listen to me, let's say this. I am beautiful. And they're like, what? <laughs> I am resilient. Oh, mum. And they just walked off. So, no. I, I you need are to, annoying. Yes, I need to, to try a different tact, I think. Maybe. You know what was amazing from that video that I would read some of the comments and, you know, there were some people that would say, I've never thought of saying that to my child. I've never said one thing like that to my child ever. And my heart would just break and I would think, why are we so out of whack that that is normal and like and that that was a very common thread I've never said anything all I do is tell my kids off all I do is you know and we we have this incredible mental health issue in our country and we have this incredible behavioral issue with kids I mean for a variety of reasons but you know, gosh, to just stop for a few minutes a day and, and have people go, I'm going to try that for the first time and I'm actually going to say something to my child. I mean, that that blew me away. It's awesome. I challenge you not to feel good after uh, listening to well, Elisa Lado today. She really is quite incredible. Look, please go and have a look at her website. She's got some amazing blog posts, some really, really good recipes, and I even had a lot of the ingredients in the cupboard for well, the things that she was making. There you go. And a lot of sensible information just to make you think. And I think because she puts everything through the filter of her life being, you know, a little bit different, maybe a little bit more energised than the rest of us because she's living with a different situation, I don't know. Like, she gets the most out of everything, and I just feel so inspired by that. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. Her business is called 123 Nourish Me. You can totally check that out online. It's just 123nourishme.com.au. Well, please go and find a mirror. Have a chat to yourself. Have a pash in the mirror. I am beautiful. Yep. Livy style. Livy style. Absolutely. I am strong. I am resilient. Mm, I am resilient is a good one. You know, I think sometimes when you're in the car, you could probably just say that to yourself. I think sometimes I should just scream that to myself. (laughs) I love Elisa. We want to thank everyone for joining us for another episode of the Wellness Collective podcast and being part of our community. It is great. We'll catch you next time for more, helping you to be happier, healthier and better.